You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Listener email and questions on Molly Hemingway's comments regarding Trump on Meet the Press, his abortion comments there. Also, some concerns about something I had to say last time we were going through listener email on alternate routes to the pastoral ministry. It's time for listener email and the issues, etc. comment line. Our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. And the comment line, 618-223-8382. That's President Trump in first reference. Yes. All right, I've had written my notes as Trump, <laughs> and I'm l- lazy today, yes. Or the one and only. I mean, who else could I mean? It's his own name. It's his own brand. David, this is something you said, something about seminary education during last week's email comment line segment. I actually got an email today from a guy saying, what happened to this week's talkback segment? He was, we're just, we just did it. We're just one day off. We try to do it once a week. We don't, we don't set aside. It's a filler when Schwartz can't do his job and find guests to interview. So and someone, a guy emails like, what, what happened to this week's talkback segment? So somebody's listening to these episodes. Like David, he said, hey, Todd, the one alternate route that has, quote, alternate route, end quote, in its name is residential alternate route. It's on-campus education and formation on an accelerated basis with a deferred vicarage. We took the same classes as the MDiv students, but did five classes a quarter instead of four, and in two years, and summers completed 33 classes, while MDiv did 36 over three years. It's for men over the age of 35 who are looking at a second career, and it is a solid program don't throw us under the bus, exclamation point, concludes David. Well, that's hardly an alternate route. You're taking four less classes. The one I was talking about, of course, was the one where they take, I think, a total of, I don't even know if they take a dozen classes. Are you talking about specific ministry pastors, or what yeah, are you talking and, about? And there are a couple other versions of it. Specific ministry pastors, a, an alternate route program that has been thoroughly abused, as abused as any route to the pastoral ministry can be, but mostly by like, by like big box, like Lutheran in name only big box churches. Right. And they just, they want to send a guy and they don't want him to go to seminary. So they, it's, it's a way of getting a guy somehow certified in the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod for pastoral ministry. And it's supposed to be a specific place and then they don't go, but that's been abused too. Originally we were promised they're not going to be able to take a call anyplace else. They'll just serve right where they were trained. And then, of course, they start taking calls. So what you did was accelerated. That's what I'd call that. I'd call that an accelerated route, but barely accelerated. If you stop and think about it, when he said deferred vicarage, that means they do their vicarage after they're done with their classes rather than take all their classes, do their vicarage, and then come back and take another year of classes. 
And then that deferred vicarage, usually for the sake of convenience, ends up turning into a permanent call after you're done with that year of vicarage. So if I'm not mistaken, one of my former colleagues, I think it was, I think, I, I, don't, I don't want to say I'm, I, I'm right about this, but I think I'm right that the voice of issues, et cetera, Pastor Michael Come took that accelerated route. He was not just a second career guy. He was a fourth career guy. It turned out to be a great pastor. So I, I did not intend to throw the, those guys under the bus. I'm not really intending to throw the men who go through these programs under the bus. It is the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in a fit of foolishness decided to try and do this and allowed a program to be invented that was roundly abused in almost every case and should never see the light of day again. Good intentions gone awry. Yeah, but even then, I remember at the beginning of my ministry talking with someone who should have known better. They were trying to talk us all those young pastors who just graduated from the seminary into the idea this was going to be a good thing. Yeah, we made you go to four years of school to, to get your MDiv and you barely made it. And these guys are going to waltz through with very little education. And they, by the way, they don't even have to go, go to the seminary. They just, maybe they'll show up once or twice. But we said it's a bad idea. And even young, foolish Pastor Wilkin, and I was extremely foolish, had the sense to see that it was a bad idea. Well, they got to at least show up on call day, right? I don't know. Is that, they just watch online? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rich, Hawaii. He says, Dear Issues Etc., like Issues Etc. and Lutherans for Life, I support the protection of life from conception to natural death, which I suppose labels me an abortion abolitionist. I was disappointed with Molly Hemingway's attempt to explain away former President Donald Trump's abortion comments on Meet the Press by pointing to his otherwise solid pro-life record when he was in the White House. Trump called himself the most pro-life president in American history, but after Meet the Press, I am left thinking he was only pro-life because it was a masterful political move to win over a large and influential voter base. After all, this is the man who wrote The Art of the Deal and championed the prenuptial agreement. He is a deal-maker and a negotiator. All his life, he has adapted and shape-shifted into whatever his supporters want to hear in order to win them over. And he does so for his own self-interest, not those of others let alone those of the country. In the end, it's all about him and how to perpetuate himself after he eventually passes away. Many pro-life activists are saying Trump has thrown them under the bus, and I think he has. If being an abortion abolitionist makes me politically naive and hopeless, then so be it. I would rather be faithful to the Lord and the author of life than lend my support to a former president willing to expend people in order to protect and preserve his own person. Thank you for the opportunity of sharing my comments, and thank you, Rich, for listening in Honolulu, Hawaii. Thanks for listening in Honolulu. I agree with what you had to say about former President Trump. I disagree with what you had to say about Molly. She was not trying to explain away or excuse what he said. She simply said, if I recall correctly, that pro-lifers do need to come to grips with the fact that there are really two camps. They are the Total abolitionist, that is nothing but the complete abolition of abortion, and now will do. And then there are those who are incrementalists who say, we'll get it done. We want, we want total abolition, but there are steps toward that, like gestational limits. And 
I just still find it completely inexplicable why the former president would say that signing of a heartbeat bill in any state, in this case it was Florida, was a terrible idea. Because I, Ron DeSantis, his opponent, primary opponent, signed it. it. Right. And had it been someone else signing it, you know, a governor who, who supports President Trump, he probably would have said it's a, it's a great idea. So it, it, it goes to show that there, there's not really an ideology there. That was the insight that I had reading a, an article about a month ago. Someone said, you just got to understand what you see in Donald Trump on the surface is the, what there is. There's not a grand plan. There's not an ideology. There's not a set of beliefs. There's just expediency. And so it's sad to say, but it's true. Did he, through expediency, accomplish what many people believed was impossible, and that is managing to get Roe v. Wade overturned? Did he, by his appointment, and then, of course, the Senate also cooperated in, in a confirming those appointments to the Supreme Court, did he, in that way, indirectly bring about the overturn of Roe v. Wade? Yes, he did. I believe he did it completely out of expediency. But he did it. So it, it's, a good, it's something to be glad about. But I don't think Molly was trying to explain away the inexplicable. And I'm glad you gave credit and, to other people, which she's not very good at doing, by the way. But, I, not, but, but I, And we're thankful the three nominees that ended up on the Supreme Court voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. But just remember, it takes five. What I can't stand on social media is Trump overturned Roe v. Wade, which he says, too. I overturned Roe v. Wade. Right. And Narcissism. And I would say this. We all have to be incrementalists because that's how laws are written. Laws generally advance incrementally. That doesn't mean we're happy with where we are when we have a 15-week abortion ban. What we would like is a zero-week abortion ban. But to get there, there need to be laws written and passed that are passable and electing people, governors, to sign them, who will sign them, those are all the increments that we need to take in order to get to where we want to go rather than say the perfect is going to become the enemy of the good. We'd rather save some. If we cannot save all, we'll try and save some as many as we can and with the goal of eventually saving all. I think, I think a weakness in the we don't want a federal ruling or gestation law or ban on abortion is silly in the sense that we could have done that with slavery. <laughs> Not for the Civil War. Saved lots of lives. It's true. I think that we have to fight on every front. And what I find kind of disturbing about Trump's approach is he insists that we don't need any more federal action on abortion. It's all going to be the states, and that's going to be the end of it. Well, it isn't going to be the end of it. And we do need, if we ever are going to eradicate this Holocaust, we do need federal action. But it won't come quickly. And we have to do it when it can be done. It can't be done in a way that can be undone. Why do it only to have it undone? And we have already seen with the fall of Roe v. Wade what the abortion advocates are willing to do to secure the right to kill the unborn. They are willing to say, we want the unborn killed at every stage of gestation up to and including birth. They're willing to say that. No more safe, legal, and rare. Yeah. And they're out, they're flat out saying it. Well, most of them are. And the, the governors who can't are getting laws like that signed. In spite of the science against them. Right. 
So we see what they're willing to do. They're absolutists too. There are absolutists on both sides. What we need to do is find the people who, a consensus of enough Americans, who say, we'll take part rather than whole. And can you get a person who thinks abortion should be legal to agree that it should be illegal at some point? It should be illegal at some point. And if we can agree on 15 weeks, can we make it illegal after 15 weeks? And someone says, well, I still want to support abortion, but it should be, should be illegal after that. Let's take that while we can. And then work toward convincing the American people through those laws and continued pro-life work that it should be illegal in every case. And while I was rather harsh on my narcissist comment regarding former President Trump, I'm extremely thankful for what was accomplished during his four-year term on the issue of abortion. My question is, I always said, did he use pro-lifers or did pro-lifers use (laughs) Donald Trump? That's a good question. I know what his opinion would be, but I think pro-lifers need to stop and think that he was useful for a time, for maybe if only for that. When we come back, some more listener email, the issues, et cetera, comment line on this Thursday, September the 21st. I in your town I'm coming home Well, my baby sure hold me You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email on the Issues Etc. comment line. A new person did not come into existence when the Messiah was conceived and born. Instead, the second person of the Trinity took on flesh. He became incarnate. God took upon himself a body. God slept and cried. God became hungry, thirsty, and tired. God felt disappointment, sorrow, hurt, and loneliness. We have seen that in the Old Testament. The Messiah occasionally took the form of a man. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he finally took on the flesh of a man. From the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This fantastic resource for reading the Old Testament is at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, and ask for The Messianic Message. Great question from Sandy. Hi, Issues Etc. Love listening to you all. As a member of a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation, I have a question concerning communion to the young. We'd like to hear your take on the appropriate age or readiness for one to take communion. I realize one should be able to examine their self, 1 Corinthians 1.11, and that it may not be an exact age that determines this. What if a parent feels their two-year-old should be able to take communion? Should one be able to talk first? How can a pastor determine if one can examine their self any thoughts appreciated. Thank you, and thanks for all you do in the name of Christ. And thank you, Sandy, for listening and for the email. The Lutheran Confessions give a really simple answer to this question, and they say in the negative, we do not intend to commune any person who does not know what it is, that is, what the supper is, and why they come. So those are the two elements that are commanded by Christ and the Apostle Paul that someone should be able to discern the body of Christ, that is, they know what it is, and that they know why they come. They know what it is they come to receive, that they come as sinners to receive the forgiveness of sins. Now, when can a child discern the body of Christ, where they can say, here in this bread and wine are the body and blood of Jesus? I would say much earlier than we may give them credit for, and when can they know why it is they should come? Probably much earlier than we can give the credit for. Now, part of the problem is the pastor has a responsibility to rightly handle these. He's a steward of the mysteries, and he's rightly handling these gifts of Christ. So he needs to be able to know that. It's not simply that the child would know, but the pastor who administers the Lord's Supper to them also needs to know that the child knows this. And I would find it difficult for a pastor to say, I can know that the child recognizes the body and blood of Christ if the child can't say, this is the body and blood of Christ. The pastor would be claiming to read the child's mind and heart. That's closer to sorcery than to good pastoral practice. So the pastor needs to say, in his responsibility, because it has the, more than just what someone personally knows or says, the pastor needs to be able to examine this child and, and at the very basic level say, do you recognize this to be the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus? that you will receive here eating and drinking for the forgiveness of your sins. And that answer may be a childlike answer. And the pastor should take that, that answer seriously. So this requires of parents and of the pastor that they teach from the very beginning what it is that we receive there in the body and blood of Christ. The practice at the time of the Reformation was to commune early and to confirm late. So they would... They would commune right around the age of seven 
that was Luther's kind of judgment call on when children were able to kind of grasp the truths about the Lord's Supper. And that was not a hard and fast rule. And then they would continue to instruct, and then they would be confirmed, that is, make their public confession of faith. But, of course, faith is given in baptism, but make that public confession of faith in a completely separate, and sometimes 18. So confirmation was viewed as much more of an adult thing than a child thing, and the children were communed as early as possible. And so I think that's a good practice. And there's a third element in here in that we don't just commune people in our own congregation. We ask that other congregations with whom we're in fellowship also commune them. So we have to have policies and a way of saying this child, although younger than the age of your average confirmand in your congregation, can also receive the body of Christ. It's actually not that complicated. We have families visit my congregation, the congregation that I serve, all the time with children that are six or seven and eight or even younger and say, this child communes, this child doesn't. The four-year-old, no, give the four-year-old a blessing and here's the eight-year-old, he is already communing. It's not that big of a deal. But what it does require is the pastor do what our pastors do in our congregation. And that is when someone walks in unknown to the pastor he needs to stop the conversation he's had having with one of the elders about the cracks in his walls at home and make a beeline for that person and talk to them. I've watched my pastor, my senior pastor, do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I watched him do it twice last Sunday. He goes, he has a very cordial conversation, figures out where these people are, where they go to church. And then if they are communicate members of a Missouri Synod congregation or one of our sister congregations, he'll say, you're welcome to commune. And if they're not, he'll say, we're going to hold off on communion today. You are welcome to come up with the blessing, but I want to talk to you more about this. And there's not time this morning to do it now. Let's hold off today and see what happens. You learn something new every day. I thought I thought for sure the Lutheran Study Bible and Luther's Small Catechism said first communion at eighth grade. <laughs> wow. So it has those three layers. What the communicant themselves knows and believes, what the pastor can discern of that person's knowledge and belief, and then also are we walking together with other congregations and putting those procedures in place where if they go to your congregation, they can also commune? Emily in Minnesota, I have been loving the Kids Have Questions series with Pastor Jonathan Connor. Such great questions and such great answers. Very encouraging. There have been a bunch of new guests on the show lately or new to me. Pastor Connor's series, Pastor Paul Norris and the Vocational Police Officer, Dr. David Adams and the Limits of Biblical Archaeology, Flame's Journey to Lutheranism. My question is, how do you come up with these topics? And then how do you find such qualified and well-spoken people to interview? Thanks for your, the wonderful programming and thanks, Emily in Minnesota. Well, I don't come up with the topics of the guests. That's Sometimes Jeff's you job. do. Well, occasionally I'll send you something. But it's usually a guest that we've already interviewed, and they've written something, and I'll just shoot it to you. That's what Jeff does. In addition to running the entire operation here, Jeff is the executive producer of the program, and his main day-to-day job is to procure guests and topics. And when we're doing listener email in the comment line, it says, Jeff, it's not that he didn't do his job. He just, by airtime, he could not get a guest and a topic for this particular slot. Sometimes I didn't do my job. But usually he does his job very well. (laughs) Now, Jeff, you've been doing this. How many years have you been doing issues? At well, since 1994. And I think a couple of things I want to say about that. When you do something this long, so we're going to, what, 30 years coming up next year, right? You're at 30 years. Yeah, yes. 30 years. 
you'd build relationships with people. And my job is easier because Wilkin does a great job as a host asking questions. And the response is, well, that's like the best interview or one of the best interviews I've ever had. So it makes it easier to get those people back on the podcast or radio show. So we've built relationships over the years and make no mistakes. You know, she talks about David Adams on biblical archaeology, the Lutheran witness magazine. Talk about reformation. I don't know if you remember during president Kieschnick's administration, we tried to find people to interview. We'd be lucky to give one interview at that magazine. What Adrian Dorhines and pastor Roy Askins and forgive me, I forgot the girl's name in between the two. It's been remarkable. So the Lutheran Witnesses, we're interviewing people in Lutheran Witness. Concordia Publishing House, great resources. The Federalist, where we can call upon people for kind of the right, right, uh, the left-hand kingdom stuff. There are all sorts of, you learn to know where they're at, and then it's, it, it is a network that one guest that we got, you say to that guest, hey, we would like to get this other person on. I know that you know them. You're in the same cocktail party circuit or whatever. I know that you know them. Please say, answer Jeff Shore's email. Well, we do that mostly calls. for conference speakers. Right. And Jeff's done it for 30, 30 years coming up this next year, and I will have been doing it for 25. Your Rolodex gets pretty big. You know, she talks about the Paul Norris vocation of police officer. You talk about relationship. Paul Norris, <laughs> when we did a conference at Faith Lutheran in Plano, Texas, was masterfully running the audio for us. He was a he was serving as a police officer in the Dallas Metroplex area and right. attending Faith Lutheran. We were having the conference there and he came in and got us set up with the headset microphones and did a great job of running the sound for us all out of the goodness of his heart. Later became a pastor and lo and behold it leads to an interview on the vocation of police officer. When we come back in Hour two of issues, etc. Katie Faust is going to join us. She's a married mother of four children, and she's founder and director of the children's rights organization, Them Before Us. She's written a new book about helping children resist progressive indoctrination. We'll be right back. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The third commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in him, our true rest, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear his word and receive his gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org. You're invited to October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. 
October Fiesta features authentic Mexican cuisine, desserts from Cruda Bakery, a festive mariachi band, and of course, plenty of Mexican beverages. Tickets are $25. Proceeds benefit St. Paul Lutheran School, the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. Learn more at school.stpaulhamill.org. October Fiesta is sponsored in part by Ernst Heating and Cooling, Vallow Floor Coverings, Seavers Equipment, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, Baker Construction, Bunker Hill Chiropractic, and Lutheran Public Radio. October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. School.stpaulhamill.org.